Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I am your host, Michael Graham. With us, one of my favorite people in the Weekly Standard universe, Jay Cost. And I don't say that just because I've seen him drunk many, many times. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thank you, Michael. It's my pleasure. (laughs) You have a great piece in the uh, current issue of the magazine, Obama the Bargainer, How to Lose Friends and Alienate Congress. And I was going to tell everybody, I insist that you read this piece. But then again, that's kind of Obama's problem, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. And, and, you know, the point of the piece was just to sort of, you know, toss some cold water on the grand celebration of the renewal of his presidency with the inauguration. Well, you uh, pointed out repeatedly that while other presidents have had success via persuasion, President Obama has kind of declared himself the insister in chief. I insist Congress do X. I insist Congress do Y. No connection whatsoever to either the Constitution or to the way legislation actually gets passed in Washington. Yeah, that's right. You know, the president has a very strange job in our system that really the Constitution itself, if that was your only guidepost, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to figure it out. Right. What the president really is supposed to do is bring people together. In our, I mean, that's the expectation we have. You know, if our Constitution sort of separates power across branches and state, federal, local levels, you know, the job of the president is to be the guy uh, to sort of, you know, collect the power and sort of focus it on the national good. Uh, but the president doesn't really have any formal powers to make that happen. In fact, he has very limited formal powers. The Constitution really just grants him, uh, you know, in domestic politics, really his only power is the veto, which is a negative power. It's not a positive power. But you know, and, the, one of the lessons of uh, previous presidents, though, is that what the power that's specifically articulated in the Constitution doesn't necessarily what you can get done as a politician. And right now with the uh, success of the movie Lincoln, that's a great reminder. I mean, Lincoln, let's face it, he violated the Constitution. He just did what he felt he needed to do. LBJ, the notorious arm twister who could get Congress to enact his will often. Where does President Obama fit in that scheme? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't stack up, in my opinion. Because, you know, especially you look at a president like LBJ. LBJ was the sort of guy who understood the vast potential of the presidency, which, which really boiled down to the informal powers. So, in other words, the awesomeness of the office. Right? The extent to which people across the country are impressed with just the office of the presidency itself right. and are inclined to listen to the president just because he's president. And that gives any president the potential to influence uh, lawmaking beyond the measly you know, functions that he has in our constitutional system. But it requires bargaining. It requires negotiating. It requires, you know, LBJ was famous for what, what became known as the treatment, you know, <laughs> figuring out what legislators need to get right. them to yes and using the power of the presidency to make that happen. Uh, you know, just a simple phone call from the president, just the, the president knowing your name mm-hmm. uh, or giving you a ride on Air Force One or, or remembering your kid's name. These are all sorts of the, the power of the presidency, mm-hmm. awesomeness of the presidency. If you just do these little things, you can get legislators to flip from no to yes just by knowing their name and giving them a telephone call. Which is interesting, Jay, because you pulled a, uh, a selection out of Bob Woodward's uh, latest book, The Price of Politics, about a Michigan uh, con- a congressman, Dave Camp. Yeah, that's right. Dave Camp um, has been around on Capitol Hill since the 1980s when he was a staffer mm-hmm. uh, and saw firsthand how presidents like Reagan and Clinton operated, you know, by right. 
by calling members of Congress and having liaisons all through Congress who were plugged in and connected and understood what members of Congress wanted and needed, uh, and comparing that now uh, to the Obama experience, you know, during 2009 and 2010, Camp had risen through the ranks and had become the ranking member of the Ways and Means Committee in the House, which is a hugely important position. He never spoke with the president. And he was convinced, you know, according to Bob Woodward, he was convinced that Obama's liaisons didn't even know who he was because they never spoke with him. You consider how important that a position like ranking member on Ways and Means is. And also the camp is a relatively moderate Republican. In other words, he was a potential ally for the president in a lot of respects. And they didn't even know who he was. Come on, Jay Cos. People are going to say, "Well, that's just sour grapes from a Republican who's lost." You know, you've, the Democrats have won the uh, the White House two terms in a row. Obama's doing great. He got Obamacare through. He got the stimulus through. He got these green jobs bills through. Uh, what are you talking about? He can't get stuff done. Well, you know that that's that's something I talk about in the article, right? Is that you know when you look at what happened in two thousand nine. 2010. I mean, you just have to acknowledge that a lot happened. But the question becomes, why did it happen? Did it happen because Obama was very adept at using his political power, uh, using the informal powers of the office, or did it happen because he had 250 some odd Democrats and 60, you know, in the House and 60 Democrats in the Senate? My argument is it happened for the latter reason. Just, you know, when you have that many political allies on Capitol Hill, you don't have to be particularly good at using your political power uh, to make stuff happen. And in fact, I think if you look at the if you look at the you know the first draft of history as it's been written during that period, I think the big champion from the liberal perspective really should be Nancy Pelosi and not Barack Obama. She was the one who was driving public policy, and she was the one who was really hammering legislators and cajoling and coercing and flattering them, uh, you know, flattering the egos to get the big liberal stuff done that finally happened. Barack Obama, in many respects, is absent from that story as it was happening. But, you know, I mean, you you say that, that he was absent, yet people measure presidents based on results. And if you asked, I think, the average Republican or the average conservative listening to the podcast on Weekly Standard, they'd say, Obama's just going to get what he wants. The Republicans are so stupid. They're so disorganized. He's going to get it. He's going to get, you know, gun control measures through. He's going to get an immigration amnesty through. It's just going to happen, Jay. Well, I you know, I don't think that's right. I You know, one of the reasons why I wrote this piece was, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, now that he doesn't have somebody like Nancy Pelosi, who, who, is, who in 2009 and 2010 had really concentrated power in her office and used it very expertly, you know, I mean, she's a minority leader now. She doesn't have the votes in the House of Representatives. So I think, you know, the, the extent to which stuff like uh, immigration reform will happen, I think it's going to depend on actors outside of the White House. It's going to depend on people like Marco Rubio uh, to see if, you know, if if a consensus can be formed on Capitol Hill. I just don't see the White House having the interest in in doing the kind of dirty work that's necessary to create that uh, that sort of consensus. But the advantage that they have is their opponent, which is the disorganized Republicans who are looking for the opportunity to quit, to surrender. They're the, the Republicans are the new French. They're just <laughs> waiting for someone to say, can we wave the flag now? Well, you know, I'm not so sure of that. I think that in some respects that's true. I think that, 
you know, they were dealt a bad hand with the fiscal cliff, for instance, and they did what I felt in retrospect they had to do. But, you know, I, I, I don't see them, you know, I certainly don't see them being intimidated by this president. Because, look, you know, Mitt Romney won a majority of the popular vote in 220 congressional districts. And almost all House Republicans are from districts that Mitt, Mitt Romney won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a con- – you know, so this speaks to – the you know, the president likes sure. to play an outside game. He goes to Las Vegas and gives a speech. He goes to Minnesota and gives a right. speech. He's trying to mobilize public pressure, right, right. Uh, to apply to the Republicans. But, you know, where the Republicans come from, those are districts that the president, frankly, didn't win. Right. And, and he's not probably not going to be able to mobilize so, them so very well us to at all. So that brings us to the last question for you, Jay, which is if the Republican leadership came to you and said, how should we uh, spend the next two years? How should we use the president's ineptitude as, a, as an inside player? How do we use his inability to mobilize the public in any meaningful way? How do we turn those weaknesses to our advantage? What would you suggest? Well, you know, I think that part of the problem that the Republicans have had so far is they, they've allowed themselves to be painted as the irresponsible ones up on up in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Right? That you know, you saw this, for instance, with the fiscal cliff. You know, and, and the metaphor that the president liked to use about hostage taking. Right. You know, he doesn't want to hold. He doesn't want to negotiate with terrorists basically was the subtext of it that the house republicans are somehow terrorists they're not they're 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 the ones who are trying to deal responsibly with the issue of debt deficit and i i think that moving forward you know if if the republicans want to sort of get a political edge they have to get away from that they can't let obama just run around the country and, and and demagogue them as being irresponsible so they have to pick and choose their battles carefully and then after that you know look to get stuff done, you're going to have to work with Harry Reid to get stuff to the president's desk. And I, that's, you know, I'm not really sure that's going to happen, frankly. Harry Reid is not the sort of guy who's going to, who, who who's, uh, finds the big deal attractive. So I'm really not convinced very much is going to get done in the next four years anyway. Those may be the most helpful, hopeful words, I should say, Jay Costa. I've heard in a long time. Little hope that big things are going to get done. I certainly hope you're right. Jay Costa, outstanding piece in the Weekly Standard, Obama the Bargainer, How to Lose Friends and Alienate Congress. Uh, thanks for joining us for this Weekly Standard podcast. Please check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.